Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's why I'm your favorite podcast platform that reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. Um, I Episode 203... Uh, still uh, have not heard from my network about me making fun of their name. I don't think I'm being that harsh. Uh, other people think is uh, the fact that I'm saying anything at all is really weird. But they, uh, they, I got fifteen dollars in ads that I still have not claimed because it's via PayPal. <laughs> Get on Venmo, guys, or whatever. I don't know. Um, but everything seems. Fine. Question mark. We'll see. I didn't go to the Christmas party this past year. It's mostly a sports podcast network. So that's why. (laughs) It's like a podcast for every single team in the NFL, MLB, and NBA, and then like some other stuff. And I'm the other stuff. Hey, that's great. Yeah. And it is great because I'm one of the sole comedy podcasts. But anyways, on to this week's great guest. You just heard his voice. Uh a stalwart of the L.A. comedy scene, uh, one of the torchbearers, dare I say? You can say it. Yes, I'm saying it. One of the torchbearers of the L.A. comedy scene. Love seeing this guy around ever since I got into comedy and saw him perform in a garage on AstroTurf. Please give it up for Paul Denke, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. That was a great introduction, Jake. That Thank felt you. genuine. I it is. It. You know, when I'm given the direction by comics, like, speak from the heart, most comics can't or don't. I do, and I feel like I do a pretty good job. I think you do. Yes, introducing comics, that's one of the funniest hurdles that all comedians and hosts have to bear. Mm -hmm. It's such a funny, it's such a fun, it's, people wouldn't believe how hard it is for comics to settle on what is the appropriate way to be introduced. Right. It's... Mm-hmm. It, I think you and I can both agree because I've hosted thousands of shows. Yes, that this is the space where you learn maybe the most about a comedian's insecurity. Yes, they uh, tell you like if these people don't know what television show I was on, then I swear to God they're not going to like what I do. Right. Or if you tell these people why I am already famous, I will feel so offended. Because I'm here and cool, not because I'm famous. Right. <laughs> so it's like, say something nice. They're just like, please, I need a hug before I get up there. Uh-huh. And we can't hug really on stage in the way I need. Right. So right. Um, say something nice, please. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so sweet. And I just, hey, I'm like, I, I'm happy to be that that conduit for them mm-hmm. to, to put them in a nice put them in the right headspace to go on mm-hmm. and do their thing. Do you have a standard template intro, Paul, when people give you sort of the vague, like, Oh, I don't know. Or don't say anything or like, whatever. I, I, uh, I have some things that I don't do. Mm-hmm. I don't talk about their appearance, what they're wearing. Right. Or make an inside joke. Because I rec- I've sort of learned that those things don't work and yeah. set, can set people off in the wrong way. Right. Um, I do find myself saying, and this is almost like verbal filler, is I call people a treat and a treasure. 
But those are nice I, choice words that aren't used all that often. Right. So I, I'm at least putting a little bit of action on it. But it right. is, it's, <laughs> I don't know. I, I really do feel that way about a lot of, uh, uh -huh. a lot of comics. Right. I love a lot of these people, you know. Yeah, just a little variance in vocab can go a long way. I find it funny that sometimes it comes off, sometimes it's done ironically, but to the audience, it doesn't read because it's like, like you're saying, it's inside and it doesn't work. When people will host with just like friends of family or friends of the show, scenic colleges and clubs across the country. Oh, yeah. And they I deliver it so flat. Yeah. It's really, uh, it's, it's so fucked up to do that. <laughs> yeah audiences really do need to be guided along to know that they're having a quality experience right and when you give them that type of mm -hmm. i don't actually think this is good attitude right you are going to be they're going to leave right they're going to leave the show right because they don't want to think that this is you and just mm -hmm. your fucking buddy right shooting the shit right that's actually actually nobody wants to go to that right Nobody... Unless you have like a famous report, like a podcast yeah. group, they can kind of do that. But right. um, at regular bar shows and shit. Oh. Mm -hmm. That was the intriguing thing I saw at the uh, Sunday showcase at the Punchline that I went to last year. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I, I know that it's out of the intention of setting expectations sort of accurately. But the host kept saying, like, will they be good? We don't know. <laughs> I, oh, I've heard this. I've heard. I, I kind of hate that. I do. I I hate it. I. It's like. I I don't being ironic on stage in that type of way. Mm -hmm. It just it doesn't serve the experience of the people there. Right. It's confusing. Right. And it's like you have to have faith in the. You have to think of yourself as a whole show. Right. Everybody's on this show. Right. And that so showcase is an open mic, but it's not, it's not real. It's like, it's full of real people. Right. It's just, you know what it is, is people just don't know what to do up there. They're <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm a good comic. I'm, I'm a good host. And you're like, well, are you? Yeah. How are you hosting this well? Right. Like, how are you making this all work as a thing? That's why like late night show hosts are so famously stressed out and shitty to their staff because it's hard <laughs> it's really hard i mean yeah. doing it night in night out and like it all becomes a blur yeah i get that yeah yeah but it's it, i i actually enjoy hosting i think it's a really fun thing to do it's and you're one of the best at it well i think that's not i mean hey great <laughs> i'll take it yeah um it's fun to have a fun night i right. think Right. And that's what I like at my shows is mm -hmm. a fun night. That's okay. sort of the banner. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. And if you can make an effort to connect with the people that are on it. Right. And to the audience. And then everyone can feel like we're in this, we're sharing this experience, this live thing. It's right. so much, so much better. Right. I think some comics lose that as their North Star. Like that is the goal is to have a yeah. fun night, as simplistic as that sounds. But on your path, depending on how you're going and or certain breaks that you get at certain amount of times and you're just like feeling like you got a lot of heat. Um, yeah. You're like, oh, I got to prove to them I'm funny. Right. 
which is bad. Yes. It's tough. Uh, comedians are really set into an audition headspace right. now. That's like the main headspace that we exist in is producing content to be picked up for something bigger. Right. It right. will actually pay off. Mm-hmm. So showcasing are all auditions. Um, it's it's rare when comedians are just having fun being funny. Right. It's when it's like a almost almost exclusively when it's a no stakes scenario. Right. And that's when it's the funniest. Yes. And even that has been commodified with like, you're not even running a set. You're like baiting audience members on tick for like TikTok moments. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just a trend. That's like going to happen for a while. And then it's going to, I mean, right. There's always little weird comedian trends. Right. I feel like the goal there is to try to capture a genuine moment, but now it feels like people are sort of, in a way, money, trying to moneyball that. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and it, that's when it becomes disingenuous. It's, it's, but the virtue of the fact that there's so much of it now that right. it itself is a, an easily referenced cliche. Yes. Then it sort of loses all power. Right. And now people I'm sure are finding sometimes when they have tried to have these moments with real audiences it gets flat and dead and it kills the vibe and the momentum. Right. Because then there's just, it's just fishing and it's, yeah, it's, you're panning for gold. You are. Yeah. Yeah. You're sifting through river water. Yeah. And I love a genuine, and I've seen Todd Berry do his crowd work thing and it's like, it's excellent. Right. There's, there's something about a person that can maintain that sort of like, tension properly um, throughout the room like Todd Berry does that makes it excellent right but just like shooting from the hip talking shit like hoping to have a good comeback um get some big ooh line right you know that's whatever I mean (laughs) you're allowed to get out there and collect your laughs however the fuck you want none of my fucking business right I would I wonder how you feel about this notion i want i think the best quote-unquote comedian destroys heckler videos have already been made like we're not getting any new brilliant like burr taking on billy or the one i really there's an old 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 one of canane i think at the lincoln lodge at some Mm -hmm. mic that's great i haven't seen it but i'm sure i would love it yeah Uh, when it's when it When real organic things happen between an audience member and the comedian, it can be exceptionally funny. Right. Exceptionally funny. But right. yeah, when it's just fished for, it's it's these are farmed fishes. Right. These are not wild salmon. No. These are farm-fed salmon. And yeah. so it tastes similar, mm-hmm. but you know it doesn't have the real the real sauce. Right. It's and the, the audience the thing is the audience knows now too. Right. So they'll either not sit in front because they don't want to be part of that experience and that changes the dynamic or they actively sit in front. And it's like, well, when we ask for volunteers, this is why we don't pick the first person that raises their hand. Right. Right. You're too (laughs) thirsty. Yes, you are. You're going to you're going to ruin the bit. Yeah, (laughs) I know, Uh, man. I feel like 
I was probably that person when I was a teenager, which is why teenagers shouldn't be at comedy shows for the most part, because <laughs> there's that overabundance of confidence to just insert yourself into the action. Yes. But, but hey, alcohol gets you there too. So, <laughs> yes, it <laughs> a does. A bachelorette party will get you there. A holiday office party will get you there. You know, right? Fuck. It's so weird. There's there's such a like history of that, and and yet, wh why do they? Why do they continue doing it? Like bachelor and bachelorette parties are historically like so disruptive at comedy shows. Office parties, like, I don't know. Why don't you just hire a comedy sports and call it a day, guys? Have them come to you. Book yeah. a show. Have them come to your, your place. Yeah. Um, then you can, then you're going to pay the individual comedian enough money where you can be assholes to them. Right. And they'll just complain about you later on a podcast. See, that's fine. No one's right. hurt. Yeah. But, Hey, I'm not going to discourage people from going to comedy clubs. No. You know what's funny? You know what's funny is the bachelorette party, office party has not really trickled into the alternative comedy space. No. It doesn't really mm -hmm. often show right. up to these small theater shows or black box shows. Right. Imagine a, imagine a bachelorette party booking like 12 seats at the UCB on Franklin. It would right. be, I would think it was a clown bit. It was, right. It's so improbable for to see that happen there. I will tell you, there is one instance of this that I was actually party to. So I used to give tours through Airbnb, through the LA comedy scene. That's right. But, yes, which the listing is still up there. If, email me if you want to do it. I'm going to charge you a lot of money because I don't have time. But uh, <laughs> it is great. It's one of the best reviewed things in LA experiences. A woman messaged me um because she read the reviews and was like a big comedy fan and was like oh i want to do a bachelor uh at like a bachelorette party night out and i was wondering if you could like make it happen for like seven of us um now mm -hmm. we we've bandied on a little bit about how bachelor parties are terrible audience members and there's plenty of documentary footage to show that yeah. but you know, six or seven people times like 150, like for four hours of work is like pretty great. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Of course. That's where we're, that's the, that's the reality of this whole thing is when it comes down to it, you know, you got to make some money where you can. That's yeah. so, so what show did you take them to? So that was the thing. I, so that tour, the, the way that it breaks down, I try to take people to two different shows and we go um, to two different venues and I try to make it like as underground as it can be because like you don't need me to go to the comedy store. Just go to the comedy store. No, and, right. and, then, and then there's like a driving tour part of it where I kind of give you a crash course in LA comedy history through like between the store and Groundlings and Largo and things like that. Um, so I took them to, I believe, like an improv show at UCB Sunset uh so that'll give you a time stamp as to when, when this is and sauce mm -hmm. a kind oh, of show yeah. at a pizza Love parlor sauce. with uh brody reed Bar babs gray aaron lampart and jeff wattenhofer and i'll never forget this so it you know kudos to them they did not have any dick paraphernalia they only okay. had they had some colored wigs that's that's what they wanted to do that's fun yeah it was very fun 
And they sat and behaved so well that uh, obviously they're in colored wigs and they're all sitting next to each other. They stand out in an audience. Right. Solomon Giorgio uh, commented, this is the best behaved bachelor party in all of comedy. Because <laughs> they, they were so respectful. And I actually like preemptive like, okay, I can do this for you. I just want right. to check in here. You know that bachelorette parties have like a terrible reputation at like, and I'm not saying that that's you guys, but I, I, you know, want to take you on this magical experience. Right. Yeah. And they were like, oh, no, 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 no. We, we're not that. We just think this is really fun. Well, that's cool. Yeah. You should check in with him. See how the, see how they survived the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I, I'll go sift through my uh, Airbnb inbox and see what they're up to. Yeah. Yeah. With that in mind, Paul, what, like, I know this might be a broad question, so you can get as granular with it as you'd like. I'd actually appreciate if you did. What makes great live comedy? Mm, yeah. Oh, a bunch of, a bunch of things. Right. It's like a recipe situation. Mm -hmm. uh, it, the most important thing is it takes the performers excited to perform. Right. That's the number one thing. Which is not a given all the time. It is often not a given. Yeah. To get comedians excited, but but not in their heads. Right. That is a, you know, it is a fine line. And, and it's funny when you look at different types of shows or different types of comics need a certain amount of already prepackaged juice in the situation to be excited. If the crowd isn't big enough, right. if the sound isn't good enough, if the place isn't cool enough, place isn't cool enough. If the other comics on it aren't at their level, right? They can, um, that can like create this real weird cloud in the right. vibe of the show that isn't necessarily like the audience doesn't know how it could be, right? They just know how it is. Yes. And so when that sort of uh, rain cloud of uh, energy comes through a show, it's sort of like, oh, this is the part I should be the most excited about. I am the most excited about it, but I don't like this part. Right. Oh, these other guys are funny. And then it's like, I don't even, I'm not going to remember who they were. Mm -hmm. I'm never going to look into them afterwards. Right. And I wouldn't have had a bad night, but it would have been a great night. Right. And I I think that's what a lot of like mm -hmm. audiences are sort of that happens often. Right. Um so that's the number one thing is it takes uh, it takes comedians everyone has to be like ready to do the show. Right. Excited. Right. Um and then it it really helps to have an audience that is aware enough of what's going on or open. Mm -hmm. Um it's great when the audience is into it. Yes. You know, I we we suffer from being uh Los Angeles people. <laughs> and LA famously has bad crowds. Right. Bands come to LA and they complain about the crowds because everyone in LA <laughs> everyone in LA that goes to shows feels like they could be on the show or what they do is actually cooler than the show. Yes. So they have this very weird perception of themselves in relation to the show they're not there to like just enjoy it generally right uh so that that 
that makes the show not as good. Right. The expectations of a crowd is is such a huge, um, a huge element to the success of the show. Right. And that's why when shows really start clicking and and they can they pick up a regular audience. Right. Then you can um, then if there's already twenty people there really enjoying it, right. it's easier for the other forty to go. Oh, oh yeah, this is great. I'm I'm on board the whole time. Right. And that's great. And then you then you your show starts to have a good reputation and people think I would I want to go to this show. I've heard good things about it. Now more people are coming in with good attitude, expecting it to be good. Right. But it's almost <clears throat> getting to that seems to to be the great sort of mystery. Like, how do you get to that? How do you sustain it? I mean, a a everything in comedy is impermanent for sure. But it it we've seen time and time again that exists, and there seems to it that what you're talking about gets elevated to a community. It's like people right. define part of their lives by going to the show because it's so great, right? And that's that's wild when that happens. But it is something that is like it's very impermanent. Like it, it lasts for a short period of time mm -hmm. when those fans are like excited to add something new to their life mm -hmm. and then they generally get a little bit older and they have other things going on right and uh, and that's great that's sort of like it's time for something else to happen right you know yeah it's it's funny when you talk to a young person mm -hmm. like real like in their early 20s mm -hmm. a song will come on the radio or, or on an, an environment and they'll be like oh man the song is so old school right. and it's old school to them because it was on when they were in high school which right. was three years ago Right. And to someone that's not at that age, it's like, that's not old. That was three years ago. Right. Like, that's not long. But to right. them, it's like, that shit's old. Absolutely. And that's, I was having a sort of similar debate with somebody about like, you know, like KLOS, the classic rock station here in LA, is like yeah. Nirvana now. Yeah, it's weird. It's weird. And it does that mean they're going to play The Offspring in like five years? I'm, I, well, yeah, maybe. Offspring maybe doesn't quite get classic status. That's more of a right. K rock, right? But then it comes into question: like, is classic rock like a period of time, or is it just like like a descriptor of every everything in pat in the past? Um, generally, things that are classic after twenty five years. That's like cars are classic at that right. point. Right. But classic rock, I think, is like uh, early rock and roll fifties and sixties. Yeah, I think you have to break it down more in genre like that because right. that is what classic rock is. That is what like started rock and roll. Sure, not all these other permutations of it, like alternative rock and right. you know prog rock and all this shit. And that's like that that what we hear on uh on on the radio stations. That's just programming. Right. It's like it's it's not definitive. No, there's just programming to who's actually driving around listening to the radio. Right. I mean, who is? I don't know <laughs> who's listening to AM, FM radio anymore. I, I put it on every now and again and I just like scroll through uh -huh. and just kind of hear what's playing. And it's it's funny. It really does make you hate a certain collection of 80s songs yes. that 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 down in Africa song, uh -huh. 99 Luft Balloons, <laughs> um, Jesse's Girl, like this like Here's particular sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I. I laugh 
how often I get in the car and it's one of these songs. I'm like, oh yeah, Hungry Like a Wolf. Who could have fucking seen this coming? Right. All of us. What did they do? What happened in the dark belly of show business that got these songs so, so ingrained in radio programming? Right. I got to know. <laughs> I want that documentary. I want answers because there's no, uh -huh. there's no reason. Right. Why 99 Love Balloons is played this much. Right. It, uh, is, is the rights to play it so cheap or something? I don't know. It could be. It could be. It's They're owned by the devil himself. And so, <laughs> and so we're just being tortured with these fucking things. What's crazy, I mean, this is how I sort of um, disperse and decentralized music has become. It's cool. Uh, at Wednesdays at Lyric, our bartender plays archived Casey Kasem countdowns. Nice. And it sounds like you're listening to the radio, but you were listening like, wait a minute. This is yeah, Gary Newman? What? <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think it's great. I I just wish things were getting could get better bro broken down into genres better right i think the way they break down genres is sort of mm -hmm. stunted right and that's that's disappointing and probably probably even more so with stand-up comedy sure the state of how the algorithm parses out what is related to each other in stand-up comedy is i don't think it's rooted in any type of understanding of how how, how comedy has evolved right well, there isn't any governing body. Maybe there shouldn't be even a, a, a bureau to right. sort of delineate what those are and how they should be divvied up. But at the same time, because of that, you get endless amounts of permutations or people, they glom onto like a specific thing and then they decide how they things that are, are divvied up. And But that's unrelated to the rest of the spectrum of right music or a comedy just well I, that's why i just think it shouldn't mm -hmm. be up to just you to do it but you right. should get to do it other right. people should be doing it it should right. be more of a, right. more of an intellectual understanding of what it is right um but i don't know i mean i don't know if people people listening to this i don't know if you listen to spotify playlists of comedy right i don't know where people find comedy Right. Um, I know that stuff plays on Sirius XM, but I don't honestly know anyone that listens to Sirius XM either. Right. Well, because they don't you know in, they don't live in L.A., Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know what? Probably true. These are, these are people that their commute is something stupid, like four or five hours. I know. Uh, that, that's wild. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm, well, I'm curious how people do find new comedians at this point. I know at least Comedy Central is doing more of an effort to release like these uh, shorter sets from comics. Right. I think there, that's really cool. There's that. There's Don't Tell. Like podcasting would be my big guess is like if right. you were a guest on the Joe Rogan Experience or Your Mama's House or the Burt Cast. Right. That is, that is akin to being called to the couch in the 80s. It is. Yeah, that's a big nod in that community. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think, uh, you know what, I think, uh, ironically, in that camp, there's more of that 
than there right. is in sort of like the alternative space. Right. Yeah. What We're What just, are we What are we doing, Paul? Blow, um, blowing an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> are, are, are you Are you standing though. on this podcast that we all should go on the Joe Rogan experience? No. I, <laughs> No, but I think, you know, Mark Marin has a lot of great people on. Yes, he does. You know, but it's sort of funny. There's like a backlog of of people that are brilliant that have been doing it for so long. It's sort of like that's the focus of what I would say that level of podcast gets on with their booking. Right. And I mean, you know, it's not anything. He's been doing this for years. It's It's not just comedians. Like, it's just fascinating people he has on. Yeah. 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 That's a whole different type of thing. And uh I've listened to a few episodes. They were good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we were wondering about this and pondering because it does feel like there's a moment in time in comedy right now. Is it LA centric? Is it new or is it LA New York centric? I don't know, but it feels like there isn't a focal point, there isn't a flagship. Even even though there is a show called Flagship that's great that um, Paul <laughs> right. sometimes hosts. Yeah, I do. Glendale Room on Fridays. Um, but like, there, yeah, like, where where is the magic? Where is the thrill? Where is the that community that we're talking about that gets behind a show, a venue? It doesn't, there doesn't feel like the cohesion like there used to be 10 years ago. And it, yeah. it's not necessarily bad, but I, and I don't want to say the thing, I think it's just melodramatic to say like, oh, it's dead. LA's dead or no. comedy's dead. No, I don't think it is. I just think that it's sort of reorienting itself. Right. It's going through like a regrowth because so many things just closed down and didn't come back open. And right, the sort of, a demographic shift mm -hmm. of adding a whole new group of people sort of all at once, mm -hmm. uh, which is just sort of revitalizing. I think a lot of, or like, oh, there's probably a bunch of really good open mics and I'm sure there, I'm sure there's, I know you wrote, you wrote about house party shows. There's other yeah. people doing really yeah. cool stuff like that. Right. Um, but the sort of <laughs> the bridge now to get like notoriety is through right. social media, right. which is like, so it's hard to say what is like, there's no real focal point. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just like with music, we're past this monoculture. Mm -hmm. We've, we've evolved beyond monoculture to now where we're, we're, we're niche, we're a little bunch of niches. <laughs> yes, we are. And yes, we are. trying to find, and how do you like, um, you know, galvanize that instead of having like this great big other thing. And then hopefully it, it pops off on TikTok and then you can have an audience. Right. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences 
each day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It feels like I'm getting this feeling between like venues closing or changing hands and shows having to move. And it feels like there's a cycle of the dust settling and then getting kicked up again and people moving, people coming from New York to LA, people leaving LA to New York for the false allure of stage time. There is more (laughs) of it. A lot of it's bad. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, you can get up at more bar shows where there's no people. Right. Right. Or, like, or a, a not a good audience. The thing that I've noticed about New Yorkers is that they plan to do 20 things in a night, and they'll do about 10 of them. Uh-huh. Which means they're just like, oh, I'll go for, like, 15 minutes. Right. We're going to pop in. Yeah, we're going to pop in. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, see, that's the trouble with these probably these two cities is like, we're so fucking cool. We're <laughs> so cool. There's so many people that are cool here for so many cool reasons. <laughs> yeah. And you doing comedy is like, not that cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, your other credit is you have a successful podcast. It's kind of cringe. Uh-huh. You know, like, it's very easy to feel superior to it, which I love because <laughs> sure. comedians comedians absolutely need to be kept on their back foot mm-hmm. <laughs> like, right. they're just confidently walking around being uh well received everywhere mm-hmm. they just wouldn't be that funny no you you'll see it and you'll see them <laughs> become kind of a bit of sometimes a monster yeah they surround themselves with yes people and if you actually watch like sets or hours or albums like in their progression of their comedy, they start sort of devolving or stagnating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, hey, it's hard to keep churning out really interesting things. And, you know, it's hard not to go back and talk about things you've already talked about because it worked before. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what happens, I think a lot is people hold on to material for too long. Right. And then they, they're not in that, they don't believe it anymore. It's not really true anymore. And they're just kind of doing this hollow expression that right. just doesn't ring as well. Mm-hmm. And so it is that that fine line of like, you want to develop stuff so that it's really good. Mm-hmm. But how can you how can you at least keep it interesting if right. you're going to keep performing it? Right. And, uh, and that's where, uh, you know, not to get too hippy dippy about it, you really have to get in touch with like, who you are as a person and w- what you want to be. And, yeah. And like, how is that going to be reflected in your comedy? Cause like, it's, I think about Kanane a lot in this regard, his first album, he talked about selling cake decorations over the phone. Cause that's the right. thing that Kyle did. And that was really funny. Kyle is very far removed from that now. Right. But he 
really lives a life that he wants to lead. And even with his success, finds a way because he's not trying to like live a this sort of projected success. I mean, he doesn't even live in LA anymore. No, no. And I, I, I don't want to blow smoke up his ass because he absolutely fucking hates being complimented to begin with. Uh, mm -hmm. He's, he's great. And the, why he's still really good. I just listened to uh, the, his shocks and struts. Right. I listened to the album version of it. I haven't, I didn't watch right. it. Right. But I was driving, listening to it, and I was just like, "Man, these fucking jokes are so dense. Mm -hmm. They're so. There are so many punchlines in it. He right. takes a tangent, he comes back to it, and it's like, man, I'm under. Am I underwriting every joke I do? <laughs> like, <laughs> he's making a meal out of this shit in the in the best way. It's like right. you know, you really he takes you on a ride with his storytelling, so funny and. Mm -hmm. um but i was just really struck this time i was like i don't think i've ever really noticed that but you know he works so much he does so much shit on the road that you can tell he's working hard to keep it interesting right. for himself and that means he's always putting the screws to these jokes and he keeps finding another thing to make fun of in it right. and it's like damn fucker lay <laughs> off bro <laughs> you went too hard on that story <laughs> but that's why he's so good Right. There's a story on his latest hour that's like comes in at I think 22 minutes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's it, that it takes a lot of time real estate on stage to create material like that. And so um my hats off to him for using for going on the road all the time and actually, you know, actually putting the screws to it. Yeah. I, I think it's awesome. It's great. Yeah, that, that that is another challenge when you get success to find your way to put screws to it because you can play to your fans. Yeah, yeah, and it's and especially in LA. Yeah, if you got fans and they come out, you can just like bathe in the bathe in the glow of their adoration, mm -hmm. and and it's like, wow, you actually didn't do anything up there, guy. <laughs> Yeah. You could have gone out there and like, actually, if you had some jokes too, mm -hmm. man, you would have brought the house down, but right. you kind of took the the goodwill instead. Right. And that's. And I, it, I get, I get it. I get it. I do too. Yeah. But that isn't sustainable. Hey, I like, if you know me or if you don't, I like vamping. Mm -hmm. I like going on stage and just talking out of my ass for an extended period of time without mm -hmm. having a real meaningful direction to go. And I think it's great. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you're like not really getting into it, like not really having fun with it, it's sort of whack. <laughs> you yeah. hear people reference the things they're working on up there and it's just. Oh, uh, an anecdote from your successful project you're a part of. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. I guess this I, I, I know some people here are going to be really stoked about this. Right. Uh, but. Mm -hmm. I'll but if you went up there and were like funny, yeah, it would be rad. It would be, it would be, and that comes back to being excited to be there. Yes, what I think this is, uh, I've got this working theory that mm -hmm. reality television has broken what stand-up comedy is. Okay, and by that I mean uh, we have need, we need through reality television is these people to identify themselves in a subgenre. They need to tell you why they are on 
your screen and why their story is worth watching. We can't root for you making a cake unless we know how hard your grandmother had. You need to let them know that your grandmother raised you. She has this hard story and that's why you're here. Right. And that is how every reality television show is sort of oriented. And we went, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, what I need to do. And because stand-up comedy started becoming a part of reality television. Right. And then social media sort of takes on that same thing where we need mm-hmm. to put you into this thing. Right. So comedians go up on stage and they tell you why you should be watching them instead of telling you a joke. <laughs> like it's going up on stage with your biography first. Right. And it's like, what if you did a bunch of shit worth writing a biography about? Right. And I feel like that sort of like reversing those two approach, those two elements to having a career as an entertainer mm-hmm. has put you at this huge disadvantage. Yes. Where you're counting on your story validating your existence versus your material validating the story. Right. And so when we, when that's kind of what I recognize a lot, especially in young comedians is like this, this rush to get up there and identify Mm -hmm. their point of view Mm -hmm. instead of sort of like sharing it through jokes and experiences. Right. And I'm like, and I I can't knock them because Mm -hmm. I think that is what is kind of being required of us. Right. And there's a lot of people that are coming from, backgrounds that previously weren't heard in comedy and that's very relevant yeah so you that story needs to be told yes and so that's that's the fine line about it is like making if you've got a story that needs to be told Mm -hmm. telling it but also delivering great jokes right all everyone's story should be told yeah all art is valid art. Every person's perspective is valid on stage, even if you disagree with them. Right. So like go out there and like do the thing, do the fucking thing. Do that, but that's the thing. Do the fucking thing. Oh that one that one moment from Exit Through the Gift Shop just came to mind where uh Banksy was like like seeing what Mr. Brainwash did and he's like, you know, I used to tell people everyone should do art. I don't know if I think about that anymore. <laughs> uh, well, it's frustrating to think that there's so many people that look at things completely different from you and they also need to take in content. Right. And that's that's troubling. Right. It's troubling when you're like, well, people are, oh, this guy's so popular. You're like, well, yeah, there's a lot of people that share that type of value set. So. Yeah. Um, I wonder, do you are you getting this feeling? I mean, I, I think I've been sort of hinting at it. Um, feels like in in a weird, maybe sort of weird, distant way, comedy needs to be like saved. No, no way, Jake. No, uh, people just need to keep joking around, and they sure. are. Right. You know, that's what people on social media young people are joking around sure but it's really hard because there's so much like really horrible shit going on right now really horrible where you feel like i'm just bringing levity to everything and actually right now maybe it's it's not 
great mm-hmm. to be trying to be this funny. Right. But I young people always young people will always not give a fuck. And that's why it's uh, that's why everything's driven by young people. Yeah. The seriousness of the world doesn't stop their drive to become seen and have a presence in the adult world. Right. And I don't know why I I feel like some people see it, but this sort of generational pattern I mean, you can hear it in stand-up through between like the nineties to today. Yeah. Where like Oh, like, like Gen X was saying, millennials are so mean, and millennials saying Gen Z is so mean. Jake, this is my lead. This is exactly what I was like referring to with this generational identity thing. Right. It's people, the need to categorize who you are based on the set of five years that you were born is Mm -hmm. so fucking stupid. People (laughs) sound absolutely ridiculous. The truth is, we all live today we're all here all of us right now and if you need to reflect everything you go through right now through the lens of as a millennial as a gen x as a and you're taking things personally when people attack the generation you're a part of like my friends we are putting our brains into a paint by number type of uh setting like we're allowing the algorithm to get too lazy with what they're making us how we see ourselves. Right. And when I see people going on stage and continuing trying to like use that as the premise right. for what they're talking about, I, uh, it, it kind of makes my blood boil. Right. It kind of makes my blood boil. It's a little, it's just like enough, mm-hmm. enough. Mm-hmm. What does it matter? Right. What you're you right now, we all collectively went through a global reckoning Mm -hmm. we have all been like hard reset in now right we exist today right and we all just went through a thing isn't that enough to be connected to everyone around you Mm -hmm. i think it is i think it is i think people it's going to take time for people to truly acknowledge and accept that we all went through that yeah. Like it, it's like a grieving thing. Like you, you can't just say I grieved. I'm done. No. 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 We we they will be studying the impacts of this mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. Because there's so much data on it. Right. There's so much interesting information from right. from social media to mm-hmm. GPS. How right. people moved when the world stopped. What they right. talked about. What they ate. It's so fascinating. Right. And to tie it to comedy, I think part of what this lag that we're feeling, this resetting, so there there kind of was a pace, a rhythm to the scenes, comedy as an art form in terms of people coming up, developing, finding their voice, and then yeah. getting a break. And then other people coming behind them with all the various infrastructure and scaffolding of comedy that exists with indie shows and working in clubs and headlining and all that. And then COVID made all of that come to a screeching halt, except for people who were like, I don't give a shit about COVID. It's not real. And they started doing shows immediately. And there's a bit. And some of that shit popped off. Yeah. And some of that shit popped off and there's this great division and people are still coming back all these years later. Like, Oh, it's my first time on stage in 2024. Yeah. I know. 2019 i'm like how 
how are you? Yeah. That's crazy. I sort of fidgeted, you know, fidgetingly kept myself busy performing the whole time. Right. And it's, but I commend people that actually stopped and like took a proper break. Right. <laughs> right. But with, with that, there was there, the sort of you direction that the community, the art form was moving. Right. It kind of lost its way. And now it's this, I don't know, hazy fog or open clear. No one knows where to go. You know what I would say uh, this, um, at least in terms of the alternative comedy world. Right. Um, what we need is another Mr. Show. Mm -hmm. Mr. Show was sort of like the mm -hmm. uh, tent pole. Right. For what was in LA, like popular acclaimed right. comedy for a, a long period of time. Right. And it was like the people that worked on it worked on these other things and people that worked on it worked with people. And it sort of was like this back right. and forth shushing and, mm -hmm. you know, and we don't have, or we haven't yet mm -hmm. had something that is as singular as that, right. but I don't think, know that we necessarily will because of this sort of subgenre thing and mm -hmm. the way that like streamers are developing programming is very short, yeah. short term. Totally, I would say I think you should leave is that, but definitely it's not the same galvanizing. No, thing. and it's kind of one guy. It's it's one guy, even though it's a bunch of, it's one guy. That's what, that is kind of what's happened with a lot of programming is they filter it down to one guy. Mm -hmm. Or it's like the Daily Show had six correspondents, John Oliver is John Oliver. Yeah. And it's sort of like, it, it's interesting how that kind of happens. And it's like, we need more shows with bigger casts where everybody can kind of do their thing. Right. But well, Vice tried it very poorly with Vice Live that I believe aired for a week, maybe less, where they had, oh, uh, Marie Faustin, uh, a rapper named Fat Tony, Zach Fox, and um, oh, another comedian who I can't think of at the moment, but they, were, they, they did two hours of panel talk show yeah. variety live not okay. even to tape just live yeah which was insane did yeah, it that... go well no it didn't oh no that's too much programming to do live <laughs> to make good yeah i mean you know how long steven spielberg works on two hours <laughs> like <laughs> it's really hard it's hard it's... to program that much time and keep it engaging mm -hmm. um Unless it's for people in a very small niche, which it is, which there aren't enough of right. to validate spending that kind of money to produce it. Right. And I think that the real challenging part that we're all in now is validating our uh, existence. And you have to do that with a metric that is quantifiable, which is numbers, whether it's streams or clicks or um you know though that's that's all they can use now because that's the rubric they've given themselves to work with right but paying for development of someone that doesn't have that already isn't mm -hmm. is less likely now than it was before right. right but they can afford to do that because more people are trying to do it than ever before so how do we find the next galvanizing thing the next mr show the next meltdown whatever it is I just think that it is going to take something that is exceptionally mm -hmm. entertaining. Yeah. That's still what it comes down to. 
-hmm. if people leave something having felt exceptionally entertained Mm -hmm. more than just good but great then they will get that feeling and that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff is contagious and if you can capture that in a a televised show like they did with uh mr show more power to you good luck i hope you do it you know i want to see it happen right Uh, (laughs) i will play it cop number three (laughs) (laughs) um And I, I just think that people getting to feel excited about it is what is necessary and sort of this sort of trepidation to feel excited. Should I be even excited if there's a big crowd? Now I feel like maybe we're not being safe because of COVID. Right. There's a lot of people have a lot of hangups toward getting to that spot of just being free and having fun. Right. That's a, it's, it's such a huge lift. It's such a huge lift. Um, this might be a good time to sort of hint at what we're going to do in April. Yeah. 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 Let's more than you want to let them know. I think we ought to let them know, Jake. Uh-huh. Um, so coming in April, we, we are going to try to solve the, the this mystery. We're going to, um, at Lyric Hyperion, which I'm the artistic director at, which I, I you know what? I'm just never going to send out a press release for that. Um, <laughs> if one of the owners wants to, without my permission, post a thing on the IG grid saying that I am okay, but I didn't okay it. <laughs> I like this idea of people are like, wait, Jake's do-? like, they don't know. And it's slowly trickling out mm-hmm. with the, the discovery of like, Hey, lyrics cool again. I wonder why. Hey. I think that's it's got a fun a fun vibe over there, and mm-hmm. you're helping to bring that to it, and that's what we're hoping to do. Mm-hmm. We're starting the new a new show uh, with Christina Catherine Martinez, mm-hmm. and we're calling it uh-huh, uh-huh, which you keep saying you're not even <laughs> consciously saying it. All these puns unintended. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And we're our goal is to bring a really fun show, mm-hmm. a really fun show to the Lyric Hyperion, right. An exceptionally entertaining show, mostly stand up, but not maybe not only just that. I don't think it's going to only be just stand up. Yeah, I don't think Christina would allow for that to be. No, she no, she will not. I've got my hard preferences to not go that way either. But having her around, there's just no fucking way it's going to be stand up. Right. And I think that's kind of a relief for people. Right. Because just stand up is starting to feel a little bit understood. And and part of what's making something exceptionally entertaining is exciting and surprising. Right. Uh, and I mean, I remember the very first open mic I did what was really fun about it is that it was not only did it allow for any and all performers to perform, but it truly like it was an even split between musicians, poets and comedians. It's a cool energy when different stuff happens together. Because we do segment it so clearly in our heads. And again, this is sort of like allowing the algorithm to tell us how to interpret things. Right. That they exist independently as if there aren't multiple things happening at one time. And that you can enjoy multiple things. Right. You're not just a comedy fan. If you're just a comedy fan, God, man, just start being a comedian. Just just try it. Right. See if it's for you. Yeah. But 
you know, if you like keep going stuff. to the comedy store every week and paying like I don't know twenty five dollars and buying two drinks to sit in the OR and watch almost three hours of stand up, yeah, go do stand up. Yeah, you want to be a comedian? Go yeah. try it. You'll yeah. be you'll be forever happier in your life knowing that you at least gave it a shot and you could say that you did it. Yeah, it's a way better scenario than just watching from afar. Yes. I think that's heartbreaking. That's <laughs> it heartbreaking. really is. The more you do it, for sure. Yeah. So stay tuned more for details with uh -huh, with Paul Danke and Christina Catherine Martinez. Uh, what a nice ring that has saying out loud. I haven't gotten to say it out loud. Hey, it sounds great. Yeah. Uh, coming to the Lyric Hyperion in April. Um, Paul, do you want to do some comedy news real quick before we get out of here? Yes, absolutely. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. With Indeed, everything hiring is all in one place and it makes it so easy. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences each each day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. The more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join the more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash podcast. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Um, let's try to rapid fire through these things. We'll do uh, it. Uh, I guess now TV's most beloved comedy, Abbott Elementary, uh, just premiered with its se third season. And I bet it was one of those things like, all right, the premiere hits this rating share, automatic renewal. And that's exactly kind of what right. happened because they got a season four renewal immediately. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really fun show. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually do watch it yeah, and um, I think Kinta is so funny and charming and just really good at anchoring a show. It's right. really impressive. And the site, everyone, all, everyone in it, they don't miss. They're so right. funny. Right. It does. It, I keep thinking about what, how comedy would be different if Christopher Guest came along, I don't know, 30 years later. Right. Right. I would love to see him stretch it out over all of these. This Like, like Curb Your Enthusiasm is kind of mm -hmm. a Christopher Guest show, really, yeah. in that same sort of spirit. Um, yeah, maybe he will. Maybe he will. Mm -hmm. I know. Is he directing? Or no, Rob Reiner is probably directing the new Spinal Tap, huh? I think it's Rob, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait for that shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's nostalgia bait for sure, but Rich, yeah, that's how... No, no, it's perfect. It, it's perfect okay. because we, the Rolling Stones are still putting out albums. <laughs> yes, they are. You know, it, they're still relevant. So by them getting to exist now as these elder statesmen in rock, it really is organic to share what that band's permutation is at this point. I think it's, when I heard of that, I was like, 
that actually makes sense. Right. Okay. They've got a good shot of that being really funny. I'm on board for that. Also, I mean, oh god, the Rolling Stones are still put, putting out records, and it and it, with that in mind, I'm sure they don't care, but like they can never make anything as groundbreaking as they did in the '70s. That's just yeah, but it impossible. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It, it doesn't matter. It's yeah. it's amazing for like there are a few people that will be in that position that will still be putting out art. And for them to still decide to do it, it's it's interesting and valid. And some yeah. of it's really good. Yeah. Like, good well, album. I mean, you look at Bowie, his last album is so weird. It's it's I dig it, but like it's way it's out there. It's cool. He dropped a I'm dying album. He knew he was dying. Yeah. He crafted this whole conceptual artistic piece, uh, sort of unraveling his various personalities in this sort of um very gothic dramatic opus and i was like yes mm -hmm. fuck yeah yeah do that yeah shoot that shit who like we're lucky you're mm -hmm. i mean we're lucky to have people that do that mm -hmm. right um next news story uh we brought his name earlier um kyle kinane uh mm -hmm. as well as adam sandler they have lined up their latest specials uh due out Sometime this year, Kyle is just a workhorse, workhorse as we've said. Shots and Struts was one of the best specials, in my opinion, of last year. And then uh, Adam Sandler hasn't made anything since 100% Fresh, but it'll be interesting because one of a Safdie brother is going to direct it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, what, yeah, what is that going to be? Well, that's what is exciting and exceptional. Mm -hmm. by adding this fusing this other element right this other you know and the softy brothers their stuff is dangerous and yes. gritty and obviously adam sandler did uncut gems it's awesome right so allowing for that grittiness that eye of that to be putting sandler's next special through that lens mm -hmm. is cool yeah it's really it's letting us know what is that going to look like He's making a good choice to make it uh, keep it interesting. Right. I fucking love Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say I've loved every movie he's made or even seen every movie he's made. But right. I've, I've just really liked enough of the things that he does. And uh -huh. and truly, like, he's doing it all for his own reasons. Right. And and that's something that I really admire. I really mm -hmm. respect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I respect that. It's funny that his like brand of like his brand of clowning is mm -hmm. in this bro palette right. that was so off-putting for so long. Right. But then, you know, when other artists see it and are like, oh no, actually what he's doing is great. Right. That's uh, it's just so fascinating to me. I really love it. Right. It is it's it... I mean, truly a case in point of people containing multitudes because they'll do these like rules that require a lot of gravitas and aren't funny at all. And he really pulls it off. And then there is, are his movies, which are, seem often like, I just want to go vacation in Africa. So let's set the yeah. movie in Africa. Yeah. And that's the, that's actually the main impetus for this movie. Yes. And I think that to me, that's fine. <laughs> I, I fuck it all right fuck it live your life and he is like yes what do i want to do i want to travel but i'm always working well the only way we're going to get to travel is if we 
if I work there. So let's <laughs> let's do that. And it's the that level of transparentness. Mm-hmm. There's something very delicious about right. that. Right. You kind of know that he's doing that. Right. And you he has that perfect everyman quality where you feel like I don't know you're rooting for him like he's like he's gaming the system. Mm-hmm. You're like yeah, get him, get him, Sandman. <laughs> I mean, that's part of why you can you can go back for years and years and years, decades, even see Adam on late night. He will never be in a suit. He will always be in the no. coziest fucking tracksuit or pants, sweatpants or whatever it is. It's his version of the tramp. Yeah. He kind of is Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. He's out there kind of putting on this, allowing for this character, this funny image. Yeah. To sort of like carry him into these places. It's funny to put this schlubby guy in this fancy scenario. So right. you go, God, I fucking love this schlubby guy. His <laughs> basketball shorts are so, they're selected. <laughs> sure. You know, they're put on. Uh-huh. There are shorts that fit him better. Yo, yeah. No. He's not he's not he's he's having fun with that. And I, I just think it's mm-hmm. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a lot. It's a lot. Right. And he's just like a, a shrewd businessman. Mm-hmm. Like to me, I just enjoy that so much. I'm like, there's so much, so much going on here. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So look uh, look out for those specials, hopefully coming out this year on a major streaming platform or wherever you find comedy specials. Yeah, I think that's going to be. Yeah, they will be. That is going to be our time for today. Thank you so much, Paul, for joining me uh, on the like, I think it is, uh, I think, esteemed privilege to get, get to break down comedy like this and do it in a way with a person where it's not annoying. Hey, I love to hear that because yeah. I know it really can be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I just love it so much. So I'm happy to talk about it. Yeah. I think we um, talked about intros for like 10 minutes. Yeah. That's how we intro to your show is dissecting introductions. Yeah. The two meta look, if you hung on to this point in the podcast still, then you are a true comedy fan. Yes, and- you are. And so you should check out my new album mm-hmm. and enjoy it. And again, mm-hmm. uh, I shot a music video. I did a couple songs for it, which is it's called Playing with Fire. Called Mad it's River. Called, the album's called Mad River. Mm-hmm. Um, it's named for the this river that runs through Humboldt County, where I recorded the album. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, the day I was recording my album, I was talking with my friend's mom, Pat mm-hmm. Cornell Reed's mom. Mm-hmm. And she was telling me that this, how it became named the Mad River mm-hmm. was the sort of um, the expedition to sort of map the area from the, right. these colonizers. Mm-hmm. They got separated and ended up on opposite sides of this river. And right. they ended up in this crazy. They had a there was a melee. Right. They fought each other. I don't know if people died, but there was a, a battle in this river. And that's what they called it. The Mad mm-hmm. River. Right. And I just thought. We're hopeless. Humanity <laughs> is hopeless. Sure. This is just exactly how it is. Mm-hmm. This thing already has a name. You guys got all twisted out, mm-hmm. making a big fucking stink about it. And then mm-hmm. it was named for your hilarious 
actions instead of what you know giving it its given name by the native people mm -hmm. and i just thought we're all living in that shit that's exactly what this is <laughs> absolutely and uh kudos what a great cover photo so far removed from just like holding a microphone and making a funny face yeah that's not my style no of course not <laughs> No, I don't. I'm not. I, I'm not that type of comedian. I um, that photo came from uh, I so this video I shot. Uh, Danielle Lee, she directed it. Did an amazing yeah. job. Shout out to Danielle. Love her. She's a queen. Mm -hmm. um, so I, my idea was I wanted to burn this piano for this video, mm -hmm. and because I I wrote this song, I'm sorry as an apology to the mm -hmm. Savage Henry Comedy Club because I lit their stage on fire. <laughs> and it was a, it was an out of body experience. I don't know why I did it. I'm still, I can't believe I did it. I shouldn't have done it. And I know that. Right. I know that. Right. This is what we were talking about how to be a good host. You don't set fire to the venue. <laughs> don't introduce fire unless it's in a truly controlled situation because right. it, things just start burning so much faster than you would think they would. And oh, yeah. well, that's what happened to me. <laughs> so uh, I, I wanted to apologize in song form. So I did it and we shot this video where we just fucking torched a piano. Hell yeah. uh, and it was a really, it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's all in the video. The videos turned yeah. out really great. It's really yeah. cool. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to promote and where can people find you online? You can find me everywhere at Paul Danke. Mm -hmm. I keep it very simple. Yep. Um, and yes, it's my real name. Thank you. Yes. And I also, I know that it is a German word also check. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> appreciate, that. appreciate that though. Um, pun intended? But yeah. <laughs> no, no pun intended. Of course not. Of course not. Oh my God. Um, but uh, there's a seven inch that's going to be out almost now. You can, mm -hmm. if you buy the seven inch through a special thing records, mm -hmm. you get a download digital copy of the album Mad River with all the stand up comedy jokes on it. Amazing. So check that out. If you thought this was great, which I'm sure you did, especially if you're still listening. My yeah. God, heart. bless your heart. Give yep. us a follow on the socials, mm -hmm. buy the album, or just stream it for God's sake. Give it a rating. Yep. Honestly, put it on a playlist if you're a comedy fan with a comedy playlist put that thing on any of your playlists i'd appreciate that absolutely yes please do that please follow paul and go see uh-huh in april at lyric hyperion i'm jake Kroger, right? yeah oh, i stepped I on your outro jake sorry buddy it's okay i should have taken like one beat beat what'd you say i was just saying yeah we'll see you there see you there I'm Jay Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com, at the Comedy Bureau on Instagram. You can find me on Instagram at not the supermarket. So many of your causes to support this time. So I ask that you please support those. But if you have money and generosity left over, please support the Comedy Bureau uh, to keep it running. And do you have anything to say as we sign off here, Paul? I love you guys. Love you too. Live comedy is happening. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Granillo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Mm -hmm.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.